<clears throat> Recording in progress. I've said this before, and I want to, I want to repeat it again. Only because we're very forgetful as humans, as people. Whenever we offer service to God, um, whenever we speak on His behalf. It is absolutely necessary that we come to Him with a humble heart, with a needy heart, that asks of Him His power, that asks uh, for His anointing, that asks for His glory, that asks that we would be infused um, with His power from on high. And... I know that as I open up, and I, I, I'm mentioning this only be, to, only to illustrate a point. <clears throat> when I open up, I'm not trying to get through prayer. I'm not trying to just brush through it. And there's a reason for that. I've seen all too often when teachers, pastors, preachers would go behind the pulpit. It's a very quick popcorn prayer like that and I'm not doubting that God can God can do very much when we say very little but when it becomes a habit I I get a bit concerned because I suspect that it's nothing more than a routine and it's almost a habit we're so accustomed to go to God's house or to meet with the saints and we say in a very casual way as if we're we're praying in such a casual way as if you you as if they're not talking to the lord as if they're not really praying to the king of kings and the lord of lords and if there's anything that is lacking in the church today there's very and there's very many things i think that one of the biggest faults is that we have <clears throat> allowed people into the ministry that have no depth for God. They have uh, very little awareness of His glory and His majesty and His beauty. And so you get people that are very shallow in the faith and they're very superficial. And they don't have great sobriety of mind. They go um, in a very casual and sadly a playful mentality when handling the Holy Scriptures. <clears throat> on the one hand you got people that are very they're they're like Pharisees and they're very they're they're never happy there's never any joy but then you got those that are so playful with holy things and they don't hold the word of God with reverence and we want to avoid both of those things and so um I say that because if ever we intend on going out to share the Lord's word to proclaim the gospel I one of the things that I've done when I've trained people who have um, that have come near me in, in close relationship here in my place where I'm from <clears throat> there had always been a temptation that they would say let us go out so the day that we schedule they say well you know we'll go out at three o'clock or whatever I said nah man I need you at my house an hour early because we're going to pray an hour before we go out. You've already shown me a great mistake 
that you think you can go out there in your own power. We're out fighting devils and demons. And we might come across witches or warlocks or people that are so uh, enchained with, with drug addiction. Do you think we're really going to go out there with the power of the mind? We need God and we, we need to be filled. It's not just a theology. It's a real experience where we must be... It's like this water bottle. I have water in here, but notice there's a little bit leap, a little bit uh, lacking. I don't want to go out there like this. I want to go out. In fact, more than this, I want to be overflowing. I want to continue to overflow with water because as I give out, I need to know that in the process, I'm not going to leave back in, in a completely empty bottle, run dry and exhausted. I need to be overflowing continually with His presence and I need His power upon me. I need, and, and when I say this, that we literally have a power from another world coming upon us. That's what it must amount to. And it's not just a cute idea or religious language. In the truest sense, God's power comes upon a man and a woman when they... Um, humbly and prayerfully come to the throne of grace asking for an infusion of His Holy Spirit. We have once and for all been, uh, we've once and for all received the Holy Spirit, but we must continually fan into flame because we can quench Him. And so let us not, let us not do that. And so when we when we go out, it, we're in a relationship with the Lord, and relationship isn't a a chore list. It's not a chore list. We it's not like I cross off this box and I've done that. God is very relational, and so we must approach Him relationally. You know, I've always thought about this. I thought, and I'm gonna say this last point, and we'll get to the topic. But I've I've, I've often wondered. Are there ministers um, that when before praying for their message that God would use them? That in some cases, the, the, let, let's say if there was a guest speaker, he goes to a church and he opens up in prayer. Will there ever be a time or has there been times where a man of God has been so sensitive where the Lord said, I don't even want you to preach. In fact, just turn this into an hour prayer meeting. I wonder if, if, because if, I don't believe that it's incapable of the Lord doing that. Because th- there are some, there are sometimes the Lord does things out of the box that we're, we are, we don't predict. And so I'm wondering if we, as we examine ourselves, are we sensitive uh, enough to the Lord that if, when, when, uh, when we're placed in situations and certain people expect you to perform or to do something, are we able to disregard whatever we've prepped ourselves to do in honoring the Lord and what He actually wants us to do in that moment? Um, let, let me give you maybe a more um, another example. There have been times where, you know, I thought I was going to say something when speaking, and God said, I want you to do something completely different. I don't want you to even talk about any of that. And And sadly because we're breeding a generation of unspiritual people, that's not even a concept in the mind of most. They say, 
well, we've already created this series in advance and we're just going to go in accord with this three-week series. Or, uh, you know, holidays are coming around, Father's Day is coming around, so we're going to make a Father's Day message. And one of the things I've often said, I said, did, did you go before the Lord and ask Him if that's what He wants you to speak about? Right? And so the point in all that I'm rambling about is this, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Sensitivity to the Spirit of God in all things. Okay, so, but <clears throat> what I today, well, tonight actually, by the Lord's power, hope to speak to you guys about is um, something that I really want to be, I really would hope and pray to be your hearts. Uh, something, it's a topic that. I long for our hearts to beat for. Um, I long for, and the Lord longs for us to have hearts that beat for this. So it's not just, it's my preference. I see in the Bible that this was also the heart of God. And it's the topic of, of evangelism. We have not been created for ourselves. We haven't been created for ourselves. Um, a life worth living is a life given away. That's the, that's a life worth living is a life given away primarily to God, but secondarily to people in service to the King. That is the life worth living for. There was a wonderful sermon I heard some time ago, and it was by John Piper, and he was telling of a couple who had retired in their mid-60s or maybe early 70s, <clears throat> And the rest of their time, they had spent collecting seashells. And the point in him bringing that up was to say this. Imagine this couple who died without Jesus Christ has gone to the judgment seat and said, Oh Lord, I've lived my life collecting seashells. But God's response will be this. What have you done in response to my son's death? Oh, that's heavy. That is very heavy when you begin to think about it in those lines. That God would ask us, What have you, Natalia? What have I, Greg? What have, what have you, Jacqueline? What have uh, you, Brother David? What have you done with the son? How have you responded to his death. So that if I were to live my life collecting seashells. This, this thing that is in comparison to the blood of Jesus. Utterly meaningless. Utterly meaningless. It's to say this in effect. That you Lord who stooped down from heaven. Were born of a woman. And you spilt your life's blood for the sins of of humanity and despite all that you've done I've given my life's worth and effort and energy to seashells what a tragedy what a tragedy nothing less than a horrific tragedy now pile everything along with that I've given myself to become a famous 
movie star. I've 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 given my life to be a a a, a famous rapper. Or I've here here's another thing. Here's how the devil works. I've given my life to be a good citizen and doing good for my community. And you know what Paul's response would be? He says, whatever I've gained in the life before, even with all my religious acts, he says, I count them all dung. In the Greek, I I, I forget what the actual word there is, but it's a pretty strong word. It's not like he's saying the the SH word, but it's close to that. He's not using a a a uh, a formal or a proper term to refer to human waste. So you get the idea of what he's actually talking about there. He's saying it's utterly trash. It's like human waste to me. Right? So that was what Paul's attitude was to anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so my brothers uh, my brother and my sister the centrality the central thing of our message of our hope the anchor for why we live is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is that is how we are identified, it's how we are saved. Um centering around the I've learned this from Ravi Zacharias. Uh, there's four questions that make up a worldview. Meaning, no origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Where did we come from? What is right and wrong? Uh, is there purpose for humanity? And where are we going? The cross alone answers all four of those questions. The cross alone gives context and meaning to all four of those questions. And so... Um, no matter where we're at in life, Jesus says these wonderful words, these beautiful words. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You know, the interesting thing is, Thomas was actually asking where Jesus was going. And Jesus kind of sidesteps his question. He says, I am the way. He was looking for a specific answer. Isn't that what men are doing today? They're looking for specific answers when Jesus is in effect saying, you're bypassing, you're forgetting the biggest answer to the biggest questions. And it's this, what is the reason for our existence? It's Jesus Christ. Right? So with all that said, this message is so important. And so we have believed it. Now it's our task it is it should be our heartbeat to get this message out paul says in second timothy chapter 4 verse 5 paul tells timothy says do the work of an evangelist now the evangelist th- that word there in the greek is the noun euangelion um it simply means good news that's what the gospel is it is good news it's not bad news. The good news is that God was in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing men's trespasses unto them. Right? That is the ministry that we have, the ministry of reconciliation. 
And so when there is reconciliation, guess what there is? There's celebration. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you guys know this, and, and forgive me. Well, I want I don't want to even ask for forgive me because for forgiveness because um, it's there in the Bible. Um, and it's, it's, um, and I think the culture has distorted it so bad to where Christians think it's icky. Um, but the idea of sex, when Adam and Eve, this is what, this is, this is why there should be celebration in sex within a man and a woman. Adam and Eve, Eve was a part of Adam, was then separated from him. Then God put them back together. And they enjoy sexual intimacy as a celebration of a separation, then reconciliation. If you take notice, that's what actually happened. Eve was a part of Adam. She was one with him. They were then separated. When God took the rib out of Adam's uh, uh, side, and then he joined them together and made them one flesh. Right? That is what we're called to do. There is celebration because we, in Adam, as our federal head, we were joined with God, but because of his sin, we were separated, right? And now we come as ambassadors of Christ saying, we are preaching this wonderful message that you can be married back to God. There can be celebration in heaven by you receiving the message of reconciliation. Will you marry him? Will you divorce the adulterous ways or the fornicating ways or the, the whatever ways of, of, of the former life? Will you divorce yourself from them and say, God, I'm willing to renounce it all and die to those ways that I may be united with you? <clears throat> and so he says, do the work of an evangelist. And so, um, I want to go over a couple of um, heart traits of a soul winner, and if you if you can really quickly turn to Luke chapter fourteen, Luke chapter fourteen verse twenty three. Just for your information, just I guess just throwing it out there, Luke, he was a physician, and um, his if if you if you want to read more of uh, of a difficult gospel, you're going to want to read Luke because his vocabulary in the Greek language is actually a lot more difficult than say the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is ri- written with um, pretty easy vocabulary. And I think that's interesting that God takes these different messengers with different backgrounds and different uh, vocabulary range, uh, different styles, different styles of writing. And he, the Holy Spirit is the same author inspiring all these different messengers. But <clears throat> Luke chapter 14, verse 23, <clears throat> would someone like to read that? I have a Hungarian Bible. <laughs> I got you, bro. All right, cool. 23, right? Yeah. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. 
Uh, read read 24, you. yeah, too, as well. Thank you. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Amen. So look at what he says right there. He says, then the master, who's the master? That word in the Greek is kurios. It means Lord, master, um, or in some context can refer to God. But so the Lord or the master, right? And this obviously represents the Lord, you know, the capital L, Lord, told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes. So he location isn't isn't in question of the Lord here. He's saying whether city or whether country, I want you to go to both. I want civilized, I want rich, I want poor. Doesn't matter. As well as gender, as well as race. Right? He says, it doesn't matter. I want you to go to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. <clears throat> there have been some people, from what I've heard, there have been some Catholics in former times who had mistranslated this and, and had taken this verse to justify the view that you can compel them by force. And, and, and hence, um, you know, uh, crusades and stuff like that, right? No, that's not... But here's a strong term, though. To compel means... Um, that there is there is a sense of force here, and it's not talking about physical force. The force that we use is the force of love, the force of zeal, the force of persuasion, the force of pleading. I remember Charles Spurgeon said in his great book, I believe it was in Soul Winter, he said that if sin, if damn sinners will go to hell, he says, may they go over our weeping faces and our prostrate bodies as we cling a hold of their uh, of their feet of their legs. If they are to go to hell, may they go over such uh, persons as us, giving our all to to insist. No, don't go the the, the broad road. Don't go to the uh, the road of destruction. We want to try to compel them to come in to to um, the Lord's um, ark. It's going to rain. We are saying, get into the ark. Get into the ark. So that means whether we look foolish, they're saying, where is this Lord's coming you're speaking of? It's been over 2,000 years. You're ridiculous. You're old-fashioned. You believe that ancient book. They're going to say many things. But we, but still, our heart says, let us compel them to come in. Because you know why? That is the Lord's uh, command. That is the Lord's heart. He wills for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He is saying, compel them. I want them to come in. Right? So the, 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 the heart of a soul winner is a heart of, of drive. The heart of a soul winner is the heart of like a pit bull looking for some, uh, a nice toasty steak, right? <laughs> that pit bull is probably not going to let that steak go if it's really hungry, right? And so, and it's probably a poor illustration, but but you get the idea. Um, turn to uh, uh, the following chapter. Turn to Luke chapter fifteen. <clears throat> Luke chapter fifteen, verse eight through ten. Once again, Luke chapter fifteen, verse eight through ten, and it says right here. It says. 
Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over one sinner who repents. And so, secondly, the heart of a soul winner is a heart that seeks. And how does that relate to God? Because He sought after you. He sought after me. He sought after us. He looked for us. You know, I, I've I've said it before, and it was on a post that I've read, uh, a picture or a meme or whatever, that the Lord leaving the 99 to look for the one doesn't make sense until you're that one. <clears throat> I think we can easily say, and suppose this applies too for backsliding Christians. You don't know people's stories, man. It's not like people wake up the following day and say, I want to backslide. Sometimes um, blow after blow after blow after blow from the devil gets them very wary. And, and a heart of criticism then can rise up within the Christian community and say, ah, they deserved it or they, they had it coming. And rightly so, they did have it coming. We, we do have it coming when we sow to the flesh, we shall reap of the flesh. But nonetheless, God's heart still calls after such people. Suppose it was our child or our dearest loved one. And you knew maybe they were a soul winner themselves. They'd done such great things for the Lord. And then somewhere, somewhere in the road, they made a mistake or they, they made they got hurt so bad in the battlefield that when they got wounded, no one assisted them, no one helped them. And so gradually they said, I, I can't continue forward. I, I I can't. I pray that the Lord will restore me, and and they have a sense of guilt and shame, and they want to return. It doesn't excuse their sin. It doesn't mean that um, the Lord is is with a smile and and happy about what they're doing. But you know what? The Bible says that the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Endures forever. And you don't know the tears that such backslidden Christians cry at night saying, Lord, please deliver me. Please deliver me. Please, I want out of this sin. I want out of this mess. If I could, if I had the strength, I would return. But God, I don't have anyone here helping me. So you see right there very clearly in the text that the lost coin or the lost sheep was sought after someone who wasn't lost. That's why it says that if you see a brother caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. So the scriptures identifies that person's condition as one in need of restoration. It means that they were in a particular place at one time, but somehow they injured themselves and they need rehabilitation. They need to be rehabilitated. And so... Um, but the heart of a soul winner is one that reaches for the loss, that goes out. And guess what that means? That you got to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to see people 
I, <laughs> I've had it many times where I'm going out of my comfort zone, sometimes by myself, not to boast or anything like that. Please, I, I'm not a boaster. Um, but going out and <laughs> I'll knock on some doors, the house would stink. I'm like, oh boy, I don't want to be here. <laughs> this lady or this guy is socially awkward, but you know what? They're asking questions, so you know that they're at whether and so sometimes people, even when they're lonely, they'll just ask you questions because they want someone to talk to, even if it's about a book they don't believe. You know, and um, so in the countries and. <laughs> And in the cities, the heart of an evangelist says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I have to go. You know, hopefully we can listen to the song at the end. There's a song that says, Help Me. And I've I've mentioned it, uh, I think, last week um, by Court Chavis. It's a beautiful song. But he says, uh, says, I'm the single mother. Uh, He says, uh, uh, with three children, it says, with three children, it says, I know how it looks, but please don't condemn me. It says, send me a preacher. And I thought that was so beautiful because there's a lot of people that are saying, don't condemn me, God. And and they just don't know. They're lost. They're groping in darkness. I've mentioned it. Um, when I first started going to church, I didn't know the Bible. Didn't know. I didn't know anything. Um, I remember one night, and I wasn't saved. I was drinking alcohol. I was getting drunk, and the the closest idea I thought of somehow paying respect to God because I knew that I was in sin, and and I didn't want Him to smite me. I'm I'm talking to a wooden cross and saying while I'm drinking and saying God, uh, I, you know, slurring my speech, saying please help me. That that was basically my only knowledge of what what to do i i seriously didn't know what to do other than okay i go to church or you know what but number three i want us to turn to matthew does that make sense or yes or are you guys gonna get too religious on me and say no 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 god god was ready with the lightning bolt bet right to strike you down <laughs> No, you know, the Lord, he, <clears throat> I was listening to a, a preaching from a, an old pastor of mine last night because it came up on my memories. We had a service um, actually, I think three years ago today, I think two years or three years ago today, and um, or it might have been yesterday. <clears throat> and he said, and he said, um, the Lord, he, he's in the smoking section. He didn't mean that the Lord smokes. What he meant was this, that the Lord is in the smoking section. He's in the bar. And when he says the Lord, not physically, but there's a lot of people in there that are his chosen people. And he's saying, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. Get out. And he says, the Christians might not go to the smoking section or the bar. He says, but the Lord will. And that's true. When I was in my sin... I was I was going to parties and I remember the voice of God saying leave leave 
this road leads to death. Leave. And I'm like, dang, okay. I, I gotta go. I gotta go. And um and I kinda like my story because no no Christian could really take credit for reaching out to me. God himself drawed me. I woke up one day and I said, I just need the Lord. Um, and so isn't that beautiful? If, if Christians won't respond, the Lord will say, you know what? I'm going to bypass all these people. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I have a bounty on this guy. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get this woman. I'm going to get them out of their sin. You've been playing games too long. I have a purpose and I have a destiny for you. <clears throat> Matthew chapter nine, verse 38 Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. <clears throat> well, let's begin at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed. And helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want to stop there really quickly. Once again, I want to point out he went through what? The towns and the villages and teaching in their synagogues. So he didn't say, I don't really like those people over there. Forget them. No. He had compassion on them. I want to ask us a good question. Do we have compassion on people that are harassed like sheep without a shepherd? Because that's the Lord's heart. Right? But he says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. The workers, they're few. They are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So look, the Lord has an enlarged heart. He says, there's a lot. There is a plentiful harvest. You know, but you know what? The, the, many Christians don't have that enlarged view. You know why? Because a lot of them stay on social media. Or they just want the social media harvest. Or they'll stay on Twitter. But they won't go out anywhere else. But the Lord has an, and I'm not, I'm not shunning that. I'm not saying there's anything bad. There, you know, there's good. But the Lord's heart was really enlarged. He said, this harvest is very plentiful. And so a big reason for their not coming in isn't because there aren't those out there that aren't willing to come in because there's a lot. Jesus just said right here, there, there's a lot. The problem is that there's very few workers that are actually willing to look at this beautiful harvest and say, I'm taking a reap. I'm going to begin reaping. I'm going to begin storing into the Lord's barn because there's a lot of wheat out there. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of tares, but there's a lot of wheat. And you know what that is? You know what that gives the Lord? It pleases him because he wants his barns filled. He wants the kingdom filled. He says, compel them to come in. So number three, <coughs> the heart of, of a soul winner is a prayer warrior. Because they pray for fellow workers to partner in proclaiming the gospel, in reaping in souls. Right? 
Because there's a lot to do. There's how many billions of people in this world? Billions. Right? I mean, just think about that. I mean, in my hometown, there's only 60,000 people. 60,000 people. In, in the state of California where I live in, that's not even America. There's in the millions. Right? In America alone, there's about 240 million people. 240 million people. That's in America. Right? There's, what, 7 billion people in this world. There's a very, very plentiful harvest. A more plentiful harvest than there were in the days of Jesus when the world's population was less than it is today. Right? There's a lot of people that are crying out. There's a lot of people that are in anguish. There are a lot of sheep that are harassed without shepherds, without people to tell them Without people, see, do you, you, there's a, look, I remember when I was working at the homeless mission, <clears throat> there was a man, it was sad, man, um, very sad, there would be demonic voices that would harass him all day, harass him all day, and he said that the demons would say, uh, would use Greek gods, say, oh, I'm Zeus, or I'm this, and and they would, it was so disheartening, man, because they would say very embarrassed, very um, disgusting things to him, and, and um, it was sad, man, but, you know, the, the reality is that there's a lot of people that went free from that bondage, they went free from that, from the lifestyle of sin, and from that torment. And I think about the, the sweet times I have with Jesus when I spend alone time with the Lord in the presence of God. And how great of a hope and how great of a joy he gives me. And and how can our hearts not then well up and say, I'm going to go and share this with somebody. How the if if and here's here's a really good point. I want you guys to think about this. If the Bible says in 1 John that if a brother or a sister comes to you, say, I'm lacking in food and clothing, and you say, be warm and well fed, and you have ne- what is necessary to provide them, you say, go be warm fed, and, and you know, be warm and well fed, and you don't give them anything, it says, how dwelleth the love of God in you? And yet, if we have that which can clothe their spiritual nakedness, and we don't give them how dwelleth the love of God in our hearts. What I mean by their spiritual nakedness is that they are condemned and we have the necessary spiritual meat to proclaim to them so that they may pass from death unto life, pass from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God's dear beloved well son, uh, uh, God's dear beloved son. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So that's third is that the, the heart of a soul winner is a is one who stands in the gap, who prays for more workers, for the partnership, so that we may win souls and add to the kingdom. 
I, I want us to turn to Romans chapter 10. Like I said, we're going to be reading some, uh, <clears throat> a lot of the Lord's word, and I hope that um, we, we are eager to do so. Because, see, what I'm doing here is I'm demonstrating to you that I'm not just giving you my cute ideas. I'm just giving you, um, you know, man's philosophy. This isn't man's philosophy. This isn't my own theology. Paul says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So we turn to Romans, and if you look in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, what does it say there? It says, Brother and si- brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So not only do does a soul winner pray for other laborers for the harvest field, a soul winner prays for lost people. He or she is an intercessor. You know, I like what Leonard Ravenhill said in his book, Why Revival Tarries. I love the book so much, I know what chapter it's in. <laughs> it's in the first chapter. But he says, today we have many interferers and not many intercessors. We love to interfere with God's will, but we don't like to intercede for God's will. We have many players, few prayers. A many, he said, many pastors, but few wrestlers. Much fashion, little passion. Right? You can see it all day on our cute TikToks and Instagrams and everywhere else. We got wonderful, self-proclaimed, self-authorized, Christian, fashionable influencers. But where, oh where, are the God-authorized, heaven-ordained Christian intercessors? Right? Romans chapter 9 verse 2 you just just the previous chapter there and this this particular passage here is very very challenging well actually let's begin at verse 1 chapter 9 the book of Romans he says I speak the truth in Christ I am not lying My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, so forth. But the point there is this. He says, I have unceasing anguish and continual sorrow in my heart for these people. Right? Even to the extent where he says, I I wish that myself were cut off from Christ. A very similar prayer is the prayer of Moses where he says, blot out my name from the book. Just, Just don't let these people perish. And I think that they were so infused with the love of God that they almost served as a type of Christ who himself became a curse that we may be blessed. Right? 
I'm not going to lie. While I have had <coughs> sorrow and anguish for people, I've never said that. And just to be quite honest, I don't plan on saying what Paul said. <laughs> I don't plan on saying that. But my point, though, is I think that in principle we can at least say this. Have we at all had sorrow or anguish for anybody as a, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have our hearts opened up? And you know what? Let me say this. It takes a lot to bear the burdens and the pains of another person. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. But it is what Christ calls us to. And so the heart, another thing of the heart of a soul winner is anguish for the lost. Anguish for the lost. And while I, I appreciate very greatly pastoral ministry, I never want to minimize our our God-honoring pastors today. Um, there's something very special about those who have the heart of an evangelist. Because they want to see those who are condemned to be brought to life. Whereas pastors are trying to mature those who already have been given life. Right? And both are necessary. But there's a special place in my heart for any person that genuinely longs um, for new people to be added to the kingdom. Um, I want to go over this very quickly. Uh, turn to Second Timothy chapter two. Second <coughs> Timothy chapter two, verse two. No, excuse me, verse twenty-three. Second Timothy. Once again, Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-three through twenty-six. Let me just write this down. Chapter 2, verse 23 through 26. Uh, Brother David, would you mind reading that? Twenty-three, twenty-six. Yeah. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> so, what do we see there? Um, I just I want to go to the next point here. Uh, th- those first five points. We're dealing with the heart of the soul winner. Here we're kind of dealing with the character and the qualities of a soul winner. Number one we see there is kindness. That doesn't mean that you let go of boldness. We are bold. We must be bold. Okay, And I think that there are a lot of people that try to go out with boldness. But they're very carnal Christians. And so what ends up happening is they're... Their attempt to look and sound bold 
ends up becoming mean-spiritedness. They are harsh and insulting. There's a big difference between insulting people and using the word to expose their sin in love. Okay? In love. Imagine this. I want you guys to think about this. Because I've I've seen so many I've seen so many street preachers and I I'm sorry, I just kinda have a thing against them a lot of the times. Because I feel like so many do it wrong. And I, I'm so tempted to duct tape their mouth. Imagine a little baby going out and about to get hit by a car. About to get hit by a car. And you can't reach the little child. What should your tone of voice sound like when yelling, get out of the way? There should be a sense of your heart dropping. That's how our hearts should sound when we proclaim the word. Because they're in the grips of Satan. And far worse than a car hit or the loss of a temporal life. If they remain blind, they will remain forever prisoners of the one who will send them to an eternal hell. Right? It's horrifying. It's horrifying. Imagine this. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. A lot of the people in the group, I would trust we have a brotherly affection for, a love for, a charity for. And the, the slightest thought of anything horrible happening to them is a tragedy and should break our hearts. For example, you know, one of my friends, he just recently passed. He, uh, he got gunned down and, um, I know, I, I know that if he didn't call to the Lord in those last moments, I know that he died and he went to hell, but he was someone that I would continue to plead and plead and plead with. And um, it hurts my heart because um, he was he was you know a sinful man, and he was into a lot of crime. But still, uh, my wife can attest to the fact that when I heard about that, <coughs> I broke down and I started weeping. I started crying and crying and crying. But this is a man whose lifestyle is wicked. When I think about the church and if they were to backslide or if they were to die in their sin because there's this fondness and and there's a peculiar love for God's people how much more ought our hearts to break? But now here's this if our hearts are so great with a love for God's people Imagine there are a lot of lost people who you will eventually come to feel the same way for when they do get saved. You get what I'm saying? So the the wonderful uh, uh, affections and the love that we have for God's people today, right? We can multiply that love by saying there's a lot of people today that are not believing 
But if I am diligent enough, and I'm prayerful enough, and I proclaim the gospel enough, there will soon be people who do come to believe. And I will multiply that filling. I will add to God's sheep. And so there will be more for my enlarged heart to love. It's like saying, you know, I have experienced the wonderful delight of seeing a a baby be born and be brought to life. Why would the heart not want to then add more and say, I want to see more. I want to see more precious smiles. I want to see uh, more precious souls, uh, 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 lives uh, uh, to be grafted into a wonderful Christian family, right? And so there's a, I kind of drifted off there, but my point though was a kindness. And, and that, that kindness, people know. People know. You know, I, I posted this on my Facebook recently, and I said this. While it is true that if Jesus preached the message that most pastors are preaching today, he would have never gotten crucified. That is true. But on the flip side, if he preached, uh, if if. If, you, if street preachers today preached more like Jesus, there would be far fewer instances where sinners would punch them in the face. Because Jesus wasn't an arrogant, insulting bigot. Um, I hope that makes sense. So once again, let, let, me, let me phrase that. <clears throat> While it is true that if Jesus preached the message that most pastors preach today, he would have never gotten crucified. Why? Because the message that most pastors are preaching are watered-down, sugar-coated messages. But on the flip side, if if the street preachers today, a lot of the angry ones, preached with the same love Jesus did, there would be far fewer instances where sinners would have insulted them, slapped them, or spit on them. Because the reason why is there are many instances, it's because of their faulty deficient, ugly character where these people who are hearing this message know this person don't care about me. Right? So there should be a kindness, a winsomeness, a winsomeness. I remember one time, I remember one time, there was this individual who came to me crying because they would constantly act ugly towards me. And they said, I feel so ugly because you remain humble even though I treat you like trash. And I forgave them. I'm not saying I'm the best Christian. I've had my downfalls. But praise God for the times that we do have those wins. Those times where we do reflect Jesus. Praise the Lord for those times because it's the grace of God working through us. But it's attractive. There's a winsomeness to it. Secondly, what we notice there in that passage. um, What we notice there in that passage is (coughs) is a competence to teach. In other words, he says right there that the Lord's servant must not quarrel but must be patient unto all men, right? 
So in other words, I'm not going to get into a little tick-for-tack debate about with you over stupid things. I'm going to keep the main things the main things. And I'm going to teach you. This is what David says in Psalm 51. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And then at the end of the passage, he says, he says, Once you restore me, he says, Then will I teach sinners in the way. Then will I teach sinners in the way. So sinners also need to be taught the ways to salvation. Right? And so the, the evangelist here needs to be able to teach. I'm not saying that he or she needs to become the greatest teacher in the world. My point is this. You need to know enough to not just rail at people. Right? You need to know more than just to say, uh, the end is coming. You need to say who Jesus was. Why he came to this world to die. How that relates to their sin. And how they might be saved. What they must do. Right? Because sinners, they do need to be taught. Otherwise, they would not be asking in the book of Acts, what must I do to be saved? Yeah, there's a question. You have the answer. Therefore, teach. You get, get where I'm going with that? So that's a quality, that's a trait of one who is a soul winner. And lastly, we see right there in the text in 2 Timothy that there's a gentleness. Right? We don't get violent. We don't get physical with these people. And that should be without saying, right? But Paul didn't leave it unsaid. Why? Because there's a temptation and Paul knows that there are going to be placed in some situations where these sinners are going to get up all in your face. And they're going to get on your last nerve. Don't believe me? Go out there enough and you'll see. <laughs> For real, especially when their breath stinks and they want to yell in your face. <laughs> Don't give me all that holy roller, holier than thou sort of stuff. I know you have your breaking point. Oh, oh uh, you know, all water has its boiling point. And you put enough fire to that, you're going to start boiling. <laughs> so that's why Paul says you got to be gentle. We got to be kind. We, we got to be forbearant. <coughs> I like the word meek. Meek isn't this sort of passive, cowardly, I, I don't got enough strength or or I'm, I'm afraid, I'm not going to do anything. No, meek is a restraint of power. It means I'm restraining. You know, I remember there's, there's this brother that I respect. His, his name is uh, Lebel. Well, Renee Martinez. Um, the guy was, I mean, rough. Rough, rough uh, former gang member. Just straight military. Like, he, I mean, he got shot. I mean, came close to death so many times. And he got saved. He gave his life to the Lord. And I remember one time he was he was evangelizing because he goes to a lot of ghetto hoods and all that stuff. Or the roughest. And there was this scrawny, like, wealthy sort of guy getting in his face, talking trash. And um, Renee Martinez was also a brawler. He actually made it to the UFC. So he did, uh, back in the early 2000s, there was these things called felony fights here in America. 
<clears throat> and people would fight in backyards illegally and all that stuff. Their fists, even weapons sometimes. All these um, people would, you know, make money gambling off who would win fights and stuff. So the point, though, was the, the this alcoholic guy was clearly would get thrashed, destroyed by this guy. And he just refrained. And he didn't try to flex on him or anything. You know, and, and when I say flex, like, you know, basically speak to him in a way like to shut him down or something like that. And, um, and, but that guy didn't know who Renee was. So the point though was Renee was exercising meekness. That's a lot of power. You don't know who you're talking to. The guy will destroy you, but he's refraining. Um, let me give you one other example. <clears throat> I use this example when I used to go into the juvenile hall, um, when I was ministering in there, um, that's the, basically the jail for the jail for, uh, younger, younger teens and stuff. And a lot of them would try to act hard with this sort of persona, you know, the sort of personality and everything. And I was, I would tell them, do you think it's really hard to retaliate, to fight back or to shoot back at someone? I said, let me give you this example. Um, there was a man who was on a bus and on the bus, he was, you know, stationed in his seat. <clears throat> there was another man that came on the bus and uh and he had taken and he had taken his seat right next to that guy and that that smaller dude just began to nudge him like you know basically I don't want no one to sit next to me and so that that guy who had just gotten on the bus hops over to the following seat and so basically it looked like the guy got punked out right but when the guy who moved over the seat when his a bus arrived when when his station when his um his stop arrived he got up handed the guy a card and it says heavyweight boxer champion and he just walked out the <laughs> he walked out the bus so the point is this yeah the guy might have felt good by nudging that heavyweight boxer but the guy was basically saying i've refrained a lot and i didn't i didn't i didn't hurt you and here's the thing, you might say, well, I'm bodily weak, I can't hurt anybody, but you know what you can do? You can hurt your people with words as a Christian, even sinners. If they're trying to out-argue you, and you're wise and you're knowledgeable, you can make them look stupid. And I see this a lot, a lot of street preachers do this too. They, they know a lot, so they make people look stupid. They, make, they insult them. And they speak in a way where, um, for example, I've seen this brother. <clears throat> I'm not going to say his name. You guys probably follow him. Um, um, he's a younger brother. And he had gone out street preaching to like South America or somewhere recently. And um, he, 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 no, actually in Miami. And he was saying this in, in his microphone. He says, oh, you know the Bible? You know, the, because the lady was saying, Jesus said, don't judge. And he says, Jesus didn't say that, uh, you, or you're taking it out of context. And she says, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. He says, okay, well, tell, tell me, have you read the book of, uh, and he made up a name. He made up a name. He just said, have you read the book of Ephoph? And she said, yes, I did. And so he, what he was doing, he was setting her up to humiliate her. So he says, that's not even in the Bible. And she got stuck. Now she looks humiliated. Whatever he says at that point now, it doesn't matter. Because she just doesn't want to look embarrassed. You get what I'm saying? 
So it's not our task to bully people with our words either. Because that, that's not reflecting a forbearance attitude. You might not be able to punch someone, but you know what you can do? You can really humiliate people. And that loses the winsomeness of Christ. Right? Now, that's not to say that there aren't times where we're in a larger group and someone tries to contradict you and for the sake of the other hearers, you might respond to them and contradict whatever they've said to try to undercut or try to dismantle or try to prove wrong our faith. There's certainly times for that. But we always come with a humble heart, not wanting to embarrass anybody. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Just a couple more points. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we've gone over the heart of the soul winner, right? Is the heart of determination that compels others to come in. Number two is the heart that seeks for lost sinners. So you know you don't seek for things that are valueless. I don't go around looking for pennies and gutters. You get what I'm saying? I look for valuable things. Number three is they pray for harvesters to be added to the, the harvest field. Laborers. Number four is they're intercessors. We've seen how in Romans 10, Paul prayed for his own people. And number five, they have a continual sorrow and anguish for lost people. We see that in Romans chapter 9, verse 2. He says, I have a continual sorrow and unceasing anguish for my own people. You know, sometimes I, I think about the people in your countries, and, and uh, this isn't to make me look good or anything like that, but I cry tears. I, I cry tears for your people. I do. And my heart feels so warm. I say, God, Give me, give me, give me souls. I'm not looking to exalt a denomination. I don't care about that nonsense. I want people to be saved. God, give me precious souls. Give me people, Lord. Give me people made in your image, Lord. I want to see people saved. I want to see people pass from darkness to light. God, give me your heart. I want to see chains fall off of people. I want to see the devil lose. I want to see shackles begin to break off of, of men and women. And for them to cry tears of joy saying, I've passed from death unto life like I did 10 years ago. And say, I know Jesus and he's the reason for my existence. And I don't want to do anything else but to love Jesus all the days of my life. And I pray that becomes your heart. Because you know what? It was the heart of Jesus Christ. It's the heart of the Father. It's the heart of the Holy Spirit. But yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3. You guys get anything out of this? I hope so. I really do. <clears throat> like Paul says, I, I don't I don't come with persuasive words of wisdom or eloquence. 
I just come with the demonstration of the Spirit and power. And Paul says, I'm not a trained rhetorician or eloquent speaker or orator. I'm not one of those Greek philosophers. Ooh. I'm not the charismatic Stephen Furtix. Ooh. <laughs> I'm a goofball. I know. I know I can be a goofball. <laughs> But one thing I do know, I've been called of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have not put myself in this position. I have been authorized by the Most High God. That sounds like lofty language, like you think it too highly of yourself. No, 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 no. Paul says, who's competent for such things? But Christ has made, made us able ministers of the new covenant. He's made us able ministers of of the new covenant. And that's my backing is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The authority of God, the authority of the scriptures. That's our authority. Those who have been truly called. <clears throat> but 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 through 5 it says for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, not secondary, first, <coughs> that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You know what's interesting is that he doesn't just say scriptures and he doesn't just appeal to the witnesses because he says there are still some alive today. There's historical proof. Under the testimony of two or three witnesses, the testimony is established, but there is 500 and some of whom are still alive today. But you know what? He's saying there's historic credibility to this and there's also prophetic fulfillment in the Holy Scriptures. Both are attesting to this grand truth that Jesus died According, according to the scriptures, he was buried and he raised again. And so this relates to the message of the soul winner. It's very simple. <clears throat> Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Now, of course, you can begin to unpack that and say, he descended from the ancestral line of David, he's the Messiah, God in the flesh, born of a virgin died for our sins, and what you must therefore do is believe and repent. And you can also begin to talk about the ascension. He ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, ever living to make intercession for those who would come to Christ as their faithful high priest. <clears throat> but reduced to its most simple form as he died, was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. <clears throat> Now, here's the thing, though. You really need to begin, as I had gone to the pre <clears throat> what I mentioned in the previous point, that we must teach sinners in the way. They must understand what that means. You must be able to break it down to them in a very simple way. What exactly does that mean? For example, I want you guys to begin to think about this. Suppose you go to a distant country a third world country, 
probably even more unknown than Africa. Right? Let's just say, you know, in theory. And there are some very barbaric people. Barbaric means uncivilized. They don't have buildings. They don't have running water. They're probably eating like bugs or something. Right? That's that. And, and they have some very crazy beliefs. Very, very crazy beliefs. Like, oh, you know, there's a thousand gods that come and tries to steal our meat at night. And so we have these little burning sages to, you know, they, they have crazy beliefs. <clears throat> you say, repent and believe the gospel. It's going to go right over their heads. You say, the Bible says, what do you mean the Bible? They don't understand. They're so far removed from what it even means to believe the scriptures. Right? We have the luxury. See, what, what especially those of you in Europe, <clears throat> you have the luxury of having hundreds of years of people saturating your entire culture with biblical belief. Whether they were wrong, doctrinally and theologically, the culture still understood that there was some sense of authority in the Bible. And there are some people today that are further and further removed from biblical truth. So you have to start at ground level. Okay? And and I want us to quickly turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. We're almost done. <clears throat> to illustrate my point. I want to show you from the scriptures that Paul did just this. You know how he says to a Jew, I became a Jew. And to the Greek, I became a Greek. That I may win a Greek. Right? So Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 32. <clears throat> so while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. You know, actually, that's a good point to make there. Do we ever walk through the city and become greatly distressed because of their idols? Do we ever walk through the city and say, you know what? This is really provoking my spirit. This is really wicked. Right? Or this is evil. This is there's so much unrighteousness in the streets. That's good. You know why? Because that's God stirring you to action. That's not from the devil. That's not from the flesh. Right? The Lord is the author of those feelings. <clears throat> Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue. With both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as, um, excuse me, as well as as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there, a grip, a group, uh, excuse me, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, "What is this babbler trying to say?" <laughs> Just. FYI, it's just funny. Um, <clears throat> your sister, by the way, told me this thing you guys say in Hungarian. What are you babbling about, you little stream? <laughs> How do you say that? <laughs> How do you say it in your language? Yeah, something like this. I can't really translate it on English because we have a funny word for that. Yeah? You said it correctly, yes. <laughs> I, I just think of that when I when I read this. What are you babbling about, you little stream? Um, 
<coughs> but he says, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. This is really a lot of the Christians today on Facebook. They love going in these little conspiracy group chats and always talking about the latest stuff. That's what they do day by day. And it's like, bro, you guys aren't really impacting for the kingdom. We're not just here listening about new ideas every single day. We're here to, to proclaim the greatest idea. And it's what has taken place over 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. <clears throat> Verse 22 says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this, th this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So notice how he's very slick here. He doesn't ignore what is their central focus. In fact, he takes the very thing that captures their interest and begins to use it as a springboard into the gospel. So he's saying, look, I perceive that you have a little altar here. It says to an unknown, unknown God. Mm, you don't know who he is. Let me tell you who he is. And then you know what he does? He doesn't go immediately to the scriptures, right? I want you to see this. Now look at, look at in verse 37. <clears throat> Wait, I'm sorry. Where, where we live off at? No, not verse 37. My apologies. Um, oh boy. Uh, verse 24. <clears throat> the God who made the world and everything in it <coughs> is the Lord of heaven and earth. <coughs> <clears throat> does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything so and then hold on rather he is he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So two, two times he cites their own poets and philosophers. In him we live, move, and have our being. And secondly, we are his offspring. <clears throat> you know what he's doing? He's taking what they take for granted to then may illustrate a point to relate it to biblical truth. They have the concept of, you know, the, the, <clears throat> if, you, if you study what these Greek philosophers believed, they had this idea of platonic thought, uh, platonic, uh, a platonic um, world of forms. And so th they had a sort of idea that, you know, um, they, they, they did believe in several gods, I, I will admit that. But the point, though, is this. <clears throat> he's trying to find some sort of relationship. He's not trying to integrate the beliefs. He's trying to find the relationship of what they already believe. So, for example, let me give you a good example. 
say some uh, a woman says life is precious. Let's say they have a, a, a organization that seeks to help protect women, right? For whatever reason, or men, it doesn't matter. And they, they're advocates for this. They say, life is precious, life is precious. What you can then do is begin to say, I agree, life is precious. It is so precious um, that nothing can be given in exchange for it. It's very valuable. Notice how you're making a claim of biblical truth. Jesus says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? But you're not yet getting to scripture. You're easing your way in. And you will eventually find that Paul does eventually get to the resurrection. We won't read that just for the sake of time. But the idea there is this. His, His approach, his method was very wise so how so he could be in a setting and an arena wherever you dropped him and he will take what those people believe and then somehow draw out from that to relate it to a biblical principle so and why this is so effective is because they're not going to let go of these deep-rooted convictions that they have for example if, if we're talking about science and we're talking about the creation of the world, scientists believe that the world began, right? So that, that's a perfect example of how the world beginning, you say, ah, yes, you're observing a fact that the world began. Let me then tell you who created this world, right? And so <clears throat> that doesn't mean you have to become an expert in all their beliefs. It just means you springboard from their beliefs and you begin to proclaim Christ. You proclaim the gospel. And what what we see there at the end is that there had been some people who had come to believe. Others sneered and say, ah, we don't believe this stuff. You're you're preaching some weird stuff. But in closing, let me, me, with all that lofty talk, let me bring it down um, to earth here. And, and will actually uh, lift up our minds rather to eternity. And I just really want to read these last two passages. Brother uh, uh, <clears throat> David, if you can please get Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. So 5, um, verse 41. And I'm going to read Revelation chapter 20. So as you're turning there, I want us to recap. So number one, the Bible tells, uh, tells us, Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, right? Do the work of an evangelist. And number two, I've gone over those five traits of heart. Those five attitudes of heart that we should have. Number one is determination to compel them to come in. Number two is the eagerness of a heart that seeks for that which is lost. The parable of the, the, the lost coin and the woman who's seeking for it. Number three is praying for laborers. Right? We want, there's a large harvest. We need help. 
Uh, number four is intercession. We see that in Paul's prayer life. Number five is the continual sorrow and unceasing anguish. So number one is do the work. Number two, let these qualities of, of uh, be found in your heart. Number three is the character. Be gentle. Be kind. <clears throat> be able to teach them. Educate them. The gospel truth in a clear way to where they can understand. Number four is the message. I didn't spend very much time on that because we already know what that message is. It's in First Corinthians. Christ died, was buried, and was raised according to the scriptures. That is the message. That is the look, brothers and sisters. Do not focus, don't give all your time and energy to all these other things. Even if they're true topics, yes, yes, okay, that's true, okay, cool. But this is front and center. This is front and center. This is the only message for which it required the blood of the Son of God. Do you understand that? It required the very blood of Jesus Christ. In order to provide this message. Because if his blood was not spilt. There is no forgiveness of sins. And there is no new covenant. Right. So this is so important. In addition to that. I just briefly touched on the method of Paul. When speaking with the Athenians. And finally brother. If you could read that. And I want to get into the importance of evangelism. Read that last verse. Forty-one. Yeah. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. No, no, no. Uh, 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 in Matthew, what, what did I say? Five, four, oh, I'm so sorry. Matthew 25. 45, yeah, 25, 41. My apologies. <clears throat> then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Amen. I'm going to read uh, Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne. I want you to think about that. A great white throne. Right? I've stood before a, a worldly judge before. As they reviewed all my crimes and priors and sin as I was being sentenced. And it's not it's not a pretty feeling. It's not a pretty feeling. You got an entire courtroom documenting, right? You got typewriters, as you see, if you look to your right, you got these typewriters. You got an officer, I'm in chains. And then the judge is reviewing everything. And, and But right here is a great white throne representing purity. Right? So how much more are sinners going to be far removed from comfort in this time? <clears throat> and him who, seated on, who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. So you will see Herod, you will see a uh, Hitler. You will see Stalin. You will see all the peasants in the Middle Ages. You will see all the pirates. You will see all these people, the uh, warriors and soldiers alike, poor and great, small. All of them will stand. 
And he says this. He says, And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and death in Hades gave up the dead, or Hades is another word for hell, and uh, that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not writ- found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. <laughs> So why is evangelism important? I think those two scriptures show us very clearly why evangelism is very, very important. Very important. Because there will come a day, there will come a time when men and women who die without the Lord will spend forever away. And um, therefore, therefore, in light of all that, if we love God, if we love people, if we've been received this great mercy, we're no longer headed to hell. We're heaven bound. Ought not our bowels of compassion begin to well up Saying, I don't want other men and women to go there. I'm going to reach out because I have been saved. I've been forgiven. And I want to populate hell. I want to populate heaven and and depopulate hell. I want to add to the kingdom and snatch people from the fire. Right? I mean, imagine, imagine if down your street you were, you found out that there were people that were kidnapped, kids that were kidnapped. You couldn't, with clear conscience, continue to live day after day knowing that there were people near your neighborhood, kids that were snatched from their parents and were uh, committed to harsh treatment or torture or whatever, or whatever. Today, there are people in our towns, in our streets, who are harassed and imprisoned by the devil, and they need someone to reach out. They need someone to pray for them. They need someone to reach them. You're going to get a lot of rejections, but bless God for those times when someone will accept. Bless God for those times when someone will accept. uh... Recording stopped.